Hi, this is Jordi Belair, and you are listening to Creator Talks Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Creator Talks. I am your host, Christopher Calloway. Well, on this episode, I have Jordi Belair, colorist extraordinaire. Jordi is here to join me today to talk about her upcoming book, Redlands, and that title is being released by Image Comics on August 9th. And along with Jordi is artist Vanessa R. Del Rey, who is working on the book. And I will have a written interview with Vanessa R. Del Rey on my website, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com, where we have these interviews hosted, as well as the written interviews and recommended reading for you. I'm really thrilled to have Jordi on the show. She was fantastic, a delight to have. And in the background, you can faintly hear her boyfriend, Declan Shelby, I hope to get him on the show one day soon, too. I think we can do that. And being that they both live in Ireland now, Dublin, Ireland, of course, I ask my question, why is this one of the top 25 places I should visit before I die? And, of course, my question about what she does for rest and relaxation. If she were stuck on a deserted island, what would be the one book she has to have? And her beverage of choice, plus a whole host of other things. Let me know if you like what you hear. You can reach out to me at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Also, you can go to my website, shoot me an email, creatortalks.com. That's creatortalks.com. Rate and write a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Both are greatly appreciated. So let's get started with my conversation, interviewing Jordi Belair, here now on Creator Talks. Jordi, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you, Chris. Hello. Thank you for having me. Before we get into your book, Redlands, that you're doing with Vanessa R. Del Rey, and that's going to hit comic shops Wednesday, August 9th. I just want to talk a bit about your locale. Um, oh, for, yeah. <laughs> the, for those who have never been to Dublin, Ireland, would you mind sharing why it should be on someone's must-see list before you die, the top 25? And the reason why I say 25 is no one can hit 100. You know, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> so I guess that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what are the things there that the locals like? off the beaten path because I, I don't like doing what everybody else does. I like finding that unique thing that the people there think is, is so cool. Well, I think my favorite part about Dublin is just, I know it's probably a tacky answer, but it's the people. Irish people really are a, a horse of another color entirely. They're really nice. They're really down to earth. And they'll tell you if you're full of shit. And they'll tell you if, you know, you're the greatest thing ever. And also Irish people are kind of, and this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. They're in a way really easy to please <laughs> because they're so they're so sweet and so homegrown in a way that like a, a, a small gesture goes a lot a long way with Irish people and I think that Americans um, you know kind of forget that stuff it's like sometimes small gestures aren't even enough and people say like oh they didn't do that and oh they could have done that better but Irish people are just like I'm here this is great this is amazing that there's like linens on the table and they get really excited um, I think that's really really nice and other than that like. I like all the pubs. If you like an old Irish pub with some traditional music, it's really an experience when you hear some real Irish music and have a real nice pint of Guinness or an Irish cider. And then there's also, of course, like um, the clips of Moore, which I've seen are beautiful. Uh, that's where Gandalf and goes and finds the Horcrux. And uh, I've also only recently discovered that's also where the Princess Bride's um, The Mountains of Madness are. 
Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that was shot there. So that's like super cool. I have to go back just to like relive that whole scene. Um, and I only just recently saw the Giants Causeway and that's also really beautiful. Like Ireland just has such a history and it's all such a natural history that just everywhere you look as an American, you know, I remember when I first moved here, my boyfriend told me something like this bench we're sitting on is older than your country. <laughs> like, thanks. <laughs> thanks. That makes me feel real good. But I, and it took me a long time to appreciate it. But now I've been here for like six years and I honestly don't think I have any um, interest in leaving anytime soon. Irish people, the Irish scenery, all of this just is perfect. Like I, if you want to see a perfect place, like come to Ireland, I can't be any nicer. Like Ireland is just, it's amazing. It's the best place ever. And their chocolate's so much better. Oh, oh. oh and their butter's better. Like the little things, Chris, the little things. <laughs> little things. Those are very important. The beer, the chocolate, <laughs> the butter. I mean, <laughs> I'm packing. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm already like resident, like Irish. Cause I'm already like just listing food items as the best things. Like I promise there are other nicer things probably, but as I've been here so long, it's like the basic beats are there, the food, the people and the, the prettiness. So there you go. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. I'm based in Delaware and where I'm located, I'm in Wilmington. So I'm pretty close to Philadelphia, you know, right close to 95 in the airport. Last weekend, me and the family went to Lancaster. I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but they have a place called Dutch Wonderland for the kitties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We went on the hottest day of the year, it felt like. And we took my two boys, uh, one who's five, Nolan, and the other one who's 11 months old, is Declan. <gasps> yes. Get out. And honest to oh, God, uh, not making that up. Nolan and Declan, two Declan. nice Irish names. And uh, yeah, Declan. Declan. Declan's in the studio. Hold on a second. He can't hear you. Declan, Chris has a kid named Declan. I do. Yeah, he does. Isn't that adorable? Yeah, he says it's way more common now, apparently. And his other boy is named Nolan. Declan and Nolan. Okay, I'm sorry, Chris. No, that's, that's fine. They had a great time. They had a, they had a water park there. Declan was just happy, you know, playing with ropes and stuff. He didn't care. It didn't matter what was there. It's just all just amazing to him because this is all fairly new. And they have some lovely pubs up there, too. I found the Lancaster Brewing Company. Always nice. delightful. Nice. And there's a lot of Amish people, of course, in Lancaster. So they're mm. out there with their horses and buggies. It sounds like Ireland. Come on over, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to see horses and carriages as well and, like, cows, and that's, that's all Ireland. Like, uh, and nice pubs and ropes. We've got ropes. Come over anytime. You're always welcome. We'd love to. Uh, I, my wife has talked to me about, we have to go to Ireland sometime. And I'm like, I know we do. And my wife, she's Nordic, kind of. I mean, oh, she's, yeah. she's from here, but she has red hair and blue eyes. So she looks Irish. Oh, yeah, yeah. And people will say, oh, you? yeah. They say, are you Irish? She goes, no, my husband's half Irish, but I'm not Irish. <laughs> so, well, if you guys come over and you don't email me like, hey, let's go get a pint. Though, if you're with your kids, you can actually bring your kids into bars though here, which is cool. And they, after oh, a certain yeah. time, they have to go home. Of course. So, um. But it would be so cool. You better email me if you're in town. We'll like just meet you up and have a pint. And Declan can show you like some cool Irish history in Dublin City, oh, like you know great. where some of like um, the IRA kind of stuff happened. And I mean, it's all very, very scary, and it's all very real considering how modern all that stuff was. And Declan's a bit of a Viking nerd, so he has some interesting Viking lore in Dublin City too. Pretty cool. Oh man, cool. that's oh, I have to I have to do it because uh, a coworker <laughs> of mine just went this year and he's like, oh, it was wonderful. And he was gone for a week, and I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> Anytime, I'm serious. You guys can always always email us, and we'll give you guys a list of racks and maybe always meet up for a pint. That's one of our favorite things to do. Is always like 
say greetings Americans as if I'm not American and then we take people around it's great we've done it with people we hardly know we've done it with people we kind of know and we just give them the same Irish treatment we just laid on really thick Ireland is the best that's great. Well, thank you so yeah. much. I, I will definitely take you up on that. We'll start making plans now. <laughs> you better. You better. I, I can't wait to tell my wife when I get off the phone. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to give due justice and time to your book, Redlands. It's a book involving witches in a town which is called Redland, Florida, and they seek to take over the town. Now, I understand this is based for you on real world politics and crime and, and certain social injustices. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of an amalgam, I'm sure, of a lot of events in politics and criminal acts. Is there anything current that you think the book speaks to really well? Well, like I was, um, I, I've been answering this question a bit and stuff. And I mean, I do love the question and you've actually made it a little bit different, which I appreciate. I just feel like lately um, I wrote that, I started writing it like three years ago, you know, before like the latest election and before I think America realized how divided, you know, I think we all like, you know, when you see those numbers and you see the way it's like America's literally split in half, you know, I think it was a wake up call for a lot of people that people just weren't feeling heard and people were disagreeing. But I was writing this book before that because things that were upsetting me more were situations in Florida are very, um, I don't know, very troubling that there's such a issue of racism and police corruption. And I, I've met lots of great cops. I've also met lots of cops I did not appreciate meeting at all. But one thing that really stuck with me when I was uh, very young, I had something stolen off my property in like a really scary way. Somebody actually broke into the house and I was really afraid because I wasn't home. I actually thought my roommate was playing a prank on me and she said, no, I didn't know about this. And I was more freaked out because the only thing that was between her and the sky was like a door or like one extra door. And I was freaked out and I just kept thinking like, what would have happened if she, you know, if he dared to enter her room or something. So I didn't want to call the cops, but we did because, you know, you have to report a crime in your neighborhood to make sure, you know, they're aware of what's happening. So I called the cop and I did not want to, I was in college. I was really scared about calling this cop. I just didn't want him to like, just give me any kind of nonsense. Like, cause you know, I'm like a young girl and I knew he was going to try to blame us in some way or whatever. And the cop came around and he was so professional and so cordial and was really, really kind about everything. Basically told us like we weren't going to get any of our stuff back, but it wasn't a big deal. I was just happy that he'd come out and he was so nice. And as he was leaving, I couldn't help but say like, you know, I just want to tell you, like, I was really scared about having you come over to my house and be in my house, but you have been like the nicest officer. Like, thank you so much. And he turned at me and I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he kind of nodded and he went, you know, you're right to be kind of afraid. Like 80% of us are no good. And he walked out of my house. That really broke my heart. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, thank you. And after that, I mean, hearing that and then things like the stand your ground law and then like these terrible shootings that I don't think people are being properly held accountable for. And then all these horror stories about cops taking advantage of women in cars or junk women taking advantage of, you know, in their cars and they're passed out and stuff like all these things sort of added up. And a lot of it is happening in Florida. And a lot of it happens in these Southern places where I wonder how much nepotism plays a role. And that's the kind of stuff that I think I'm really more obsessed about in Redlands is just sort of like police accountability and, um, you know, uh, just injustice in general from the police point of view, whether or not people aren't being accountable for how they treat police, but mostly how police not being accountable for what they're doing to people. I mean, their jobs are to protect and serve. And I just feel like sometimes it's not that way. It's very, very worrying. 
So I think that's as political and neo-political, I guess, as it could get. And I try to do it with like a grain of salt because I have a whole family of military people. So I absolutely do not, um, what's the word, dishonor that at all. Like I think working for the government and, and serving for the government is an incredible honor. And I think it's a very important responsibility and duty. But, you know, there are jerks in every profession. And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of jerks <laughs> who are supposed to be protecting and serving. And I don't know if they are. So, sorry, that was a long answer, but that's kind of... <laughs> that's the scary part is that these people in power that we trust yeah. to serve and protect, people don't realize sometimes how much they're at risk getting the wrong person to help you out because some have some some issues. Uh, I mean, yeah. maybe that's why they put themselves in that position, just like, I don't know, there's other positions in society that people take advantage of other people, oh, yeah. younger people sometimes. And oh, yeah. you just can't – I think sometimes society, we just get a bit complacent. Like oh, everything yeah. we watch a lot of television, this is the way things pan out. Everything's fine in my life and you're in a little bubble and you don't realize how close you are to having your rights violated. Yeah, exactly. I actually like just little things all the time with like people trying to get through TSA. And I mean as a, as a white woman, I haven't had too bad of a, of, a, of a brunt to bear. But I mean as being a woman, I've definitely been – I mean, I also had like another really scary incident where a cop pulled me over and was really lewd and was not very kind. And his partner was there. And my boyfriend at the time was with me in the car. And when I told my mother more about like the discussion that I'd had with that cop that day, he ended up giving me like an exorbitant ticket. I didn't need the ticket. I was going to contest the ticket. But I honestly like I just didn't even want to. Now I drive like an incredible like I was already driving very safe then because <laughs> I had been a bit of a hell demon before, but I was like 17. But this is when I was a little bit older. And so I drove like a total grandmother. And so getting pulled over, I knew it was completely inappropriate. And the guy was completely inappropriate. And um, all my mother said since is like, I'm just so grateful your boyfriend was with you. Cause like, what, like how far would things have maybe gone if he wasn't there? Like, cause I mean, it was two cops against one college girl. Like it was just really creepy. Like, when your dad, when you grow up, you, I know you said you have children, and so I don't know if as a dad you're going to tell your boys this, but certainly as a young girl, I remember my father telling me stories about, like, if you're ever getting pulled over and it's a dark highway, you are allowed to pull up to a place that's well lit. And I don't feel like a father should ever have to tell his daughter that about an officer. Like, that's insane to me. That's insane. That breaks my heart. And I was told that. And again, I'm a white woman, so thankfully... At least I'm at the top of the barrel in some cases, but now can all you hear all these stories now coming out about what people, black communities have to tell their children. Like, you know, if a cop pulls you over, I don't think they would be allowed that same grace. Even if you're a black woman, if you're a woman and you're afraid of being an encounter like that, you better pull over because you're black and you have no idea what's going to happen after that. Like, it's just, these are frightening <laughs> things that people should not even have to have discussions about the law enforcement that's meant to protect and serve and keep you safe and treat you with respect. I just can't even believe these words are coming out of my mouth. It just feels ridiculous, you know? Yeah, in so this day and age, 21st about. century U.S., it's, it's still a problem. It's uh, just unbelievable. Yeah, that's but, the stuff that the book's about, really. And I understand that because this is something that you began developing years ago in college. So it, it isn't obviously going to tie right into current political events. People always look for that, but that's not always the case. And this has been brewing for a while. And yeah. while it was gestating on your mental bookshelf, how has it evolved yeah. from the beginning to now when it's being published through Image? Um, well, a long time ago, it was a different book entirely because it was sort of just about one woman facing the world, learning all these things. And I just started realizing like what a tired trope that was. Like, I like a lot of that stuff, but I mean, like, I feel like on Netflix right now, you can log in and see like 
five different, you know, female leads that are doing things like uh, turning evil on their 18th birthday, being granted all these gifts, like as a rite of passage, and then they have to destroy the big bad and all these things. And I was like, I don't like any of this. Like, this is all not my style. I know I want to deal with the South. I know I want it to be like a love letter to John Carpenter and Stephen King. I know I want there to be some element of crime. This is not working. So it wasn't until I watched this really awesome documentary called The 7-5. I don't know if you've seen it. It's an excellent documentary all actually about uh, police corruption in New York City um, during the 80s, I think. And when uh, 70s, my boyfriend just chimed in. He can hear me, not you. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I saw The 7-5, like, I was so horrified at how quickly one man's corruption involved an entire city's corruption and a precinct's corruption but also that I felt so compelled to actually feel bad for the officer. Like when I watched it, I remember my boyfriend was pretty, pretty upset about how the film had went down and that, you know, at the end, the guy was acting basically for forgiveness for all the things that he had done. And my boyfriend at the time was very, very excited by the film. And he was like, Oh, like he was like kind of disgusted. Cause you always wonder about that crocodile tear mindset. But I was like, I really feel for this officer. He got a really like the New York city time, seventies, eighties was a hard, hard job. Like, there was, it was eighties. I was right. My boyfriend just said I was right. I knew it was the eighties. <laughs> so anyways, so the seven, I'm so sorry, Chris. So the seven five is what really helped change the course of the book after that, because then it opened up all these ideas that I had in terms of like creating an actual universe that focused on police and how people come in and out of police stations and the people who work in police stations. So it went from being like a very, what's the word? Self-centered idea about one girl doing all the things like that's so clearly like me writing a fantasy for myself. And then when I actually watched something that really broadened my view and challenged me to think outside of my own comfort zone, like why do I feel bad for a criminal who had absolute power? Um, I was like, I'm going to write about this and hopefully make everyone else also feel uncomfortable and make them feel challenged about these things. Um, because also right now I feel like everybody thinks in a lot of black and white, 140 characters. And I think that people are forgetting co complexities about stuff. So um, that's, I think that's just really what happened. It became more complex. I like to, I like to think, I certainly feel like I'm a more intellectual person in the last four years. I mean, I was like 21 when I started thinking about Redlands and now I'm 28. You know, that's a lot of growing in that time. So, Well, there is a lot of complexity because when I read the book, it hit me in the face right away. I'm like, okay, so there's police and when it opens up, it's a cold open. They're under siege and I'm not going to give away a lot of spoilers. By these witches. Okay. So you would think, oh, no, the police under siege. But it's like, they're not, they are not, quote, the good guys, despite listening to their dialogue and how they're acting. And again, like you mentioned, things about nepotism. Um, and these witches, these are not your typical witches that you would see in movies. These are very strong, almost like they're seeking justice for what's been going on. They want to they fix things. That's the impression I got. And I'm like, kind of a flip than what I expected. I didn't have much sympathy for the people you think you would when you started reading Yay. the book. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it hit me. Uh, I think it's the way it hit everyone. So it worked. <laughs> that's great. Thank you very much. I took a lot of that from John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct uh, 13. It's like one of my very favorite movies. And I saw it a long time ago. And I just loved the idea of Siege. And um, I think they're really underused now, like especially in comics. Like um, I like a good tight story that like, I remember Declan, um, he did Moon Knight and he did the great issue that's referred to as the raid issue i think it's like issue five or four where moon knight enters a building and just goes from the bottom floor up like just taking down everybody um and there's very little words in it because it's just one long siege but it's moon knight sieging all these guys 
But um, I loved it because there were so many complaints like, not a good issue, read too quickly, not a good issue, like flip the pages too fast. And my boyfriend was like, oh, I'm sorry, I told a good story that made you flip page to page. Like, I, um, that's what I, I like about Assault, and that's what I was hoping to put in Redlands is like something that just like, I mean, I'm sure people are going to burn through it pretty fast, but I love I love the siege aspect. I thought that was really, um, really underused. So I think Vanessa did a great job too. She's so good. She really, um, like, I don't want to spoil anything either, but that like first moment of violence, like when I first got that page, I couldn't help but laugh because it was just so like ridiculous. Like uh, the little spurts. And I was like, only Vanessa, <laughs> only Vanessa could make this scary as well as a bit comical, like a bit evil dead. I like that. It starts off fast. It's just, it's not a slow build to anything. You get, you get right into it. Um, so it delivers action and suspense and tension like right away, uh, which is oh, great you, for an opening. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And it is, she did, Vanessa did, did a great job. No question about oh, it. So uh, and these witches, they're, they are, well, rather contemporary. The way they were designed, their look, their, the style that she used for those that worked with Vanessa on, they're, they're very contemporary. Yeah, the, the witches are going to be reflective of whatever, um, you know, decade they're in. I don't want to give too much away about their history, but I can tell you that they are very much old, old ladies. And uh, they're actually all based off of certain um, witches in history. Uh, we have Bridget, who is, of course, referencing Bridget Bishop. We have Alice, who's actually referencing an, a witch from Ireland that I'm very fascinated by. Um, Alice is, uh, I can't remember her last name. I'm very sorry. Um, but she was actually a witch in Ireland and, uh, she was, what's the word? She was captured and she was actually going to be killed and she escaped mysteriously. And that witch was never found during like the big mass killings of witches in Ireland. So I really found her very interesting as a character. And then the last run is a, an Icelandic witch. Um, and she's actually the oldest out of the three. Um, but, uh, I wanted to make sure that they were old, but that they also basically, um, you know, adapted to each decade in terms of fashion and in terms of the way that they talk. But um, yeah, they're they're going to definitely think that's why in this book, they're just so upset because they've been around for so long and they have just seen how things consistently go the same way over and over and over that by this point, I don't want to say how old they are really, but they're just like, I'm, I'm done. Like, you know, we're not going to do this your way anymore. We're not going to like flee and go to the next town. I think we're going to finally just like stick to our plan and we're going to take this place over because we're, we're tired. We want to settle down where we want to stretch out our legs. So uh, they're going to be contemporary as well up and through the now period as well. Which is going to cause some problems for them because from what I've read and researched that they're going to run into some problems that we've been running into today. Uh, in leadership yes. positions. So it, <laughs> yes. it, there's going to be a way for readers to connect with these characters not beyond just like seeking justice for the way things have been in that town, but with some of the problems they have to face. Yes, exactly. And as well as I just like, um, <laughs> I really like when women are flawed. So I've also had to try to remind people, especially like, I think I want, I want women to love this book, obviously. I want everyone to like the book as much as they can, but I don't want anyone to have the misunderstanding that this book is going to be rah, rah, women are the best women can do all these things. Cause it's definitely got much more of like a gone girl complexity that like, no, like women can be pretty shitty and women can be very greedy as well. And, and um, like people, cause they're people. So uh, the women in the story are definitely going to rise to power, but they're going to have to consider what power means to them and how far they want to extend their power. Because of course they see how bad it's been before and at the end of the day, I mean, they're going to be pretty hypocritical about a lot of things because I personally think, what's that phrase about 
absolute corruption and absolute power. I'm not good with words, but you, I say that as a writer. Don't tell anyone I said that. Edit that part out. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Thank you. That's the one. Beautifully said. It is late here in Ireland. I'm going to make that my <laughs> But no, I, and I love that quote. And that's like a huge backbone to the story as well. So um, that under that, that sort of idea of like, you know, it's, the patriarchy obviously has had so many holes, but would a matriarchy really be any better? Um, or are people just basically flawed and terrible all the time because being human is really hard. Well, you, yeah. that's the complexity you're bringing to this. This is not with great power comes great responsibility. That's back no. in the '60s. That was written yeah. for a different audience. Worked great back then. But now, I mean, the shows I like on television and have liked on television had very complex characters. Look at Breaking Bad. You know, one minute it's like, "Go, Walter White," and then you're like, "Oh, you're disgusting, Walter White." And then you're like, "No, go, go," and you want this this evil person to win sometimes. So that's that really hooks me in when it's that that flawed character. There's something you like. And sometimes something you're repulsed about them by. Exactly. Because, I mean, they, they should remind you of you because nobody's really all that perfect as well. Like, I mean, you have to wonder what you would do in those positions. Like, I remember a long time ago when I first started reading Walking Dead when I was very young. I was like 17 years old, I think. And I was um, going to school and I was writing an essay about survival and horror and how it like gets the best of people. And this was like such a great time because I remember convincing my teacher, could I please use um, comic books as references for my paper? And she was like, I don't know about this, but she let me. I was very grateful. So I had like all these chapters of Walking Dead. I had to Xerox as well as like other books by like Wes Craven and stuff. But um, one of my favorite bits in Walking Dead, and again, when you read that when you're like 17 or 16, it really puts something in your brain that makes you think uh, Rick is talking to... I cannot remember any of the characters' names, but it's like the first character that he meets that has the daughter. And he's um, talking to the guy about stuff as they're like, I think on a horse and they're like going somewhere. And he's talking about how different the world's been and the things that he's had to do. And Rick's like, yeah, no big deal, man. Like we've all had to do stuff. And the guy's like, yeah, no, you don't understand. Like I've had to do some really bad shit. And Rick's like, yeah, yeah, no, I get you. And he's like, no. And the guy tells him the story about how his daughter goes into like a grocery store to go get something um, when the place is all zombied out. And uh, she gets locked in the back room with the store owner that they've known for years. He's like a nice old guy and he tries to rape her and the father discovers them. And he basically like strangles the guy out with his bare hands. And Rick looks at him like, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. I'm really sorry. And the guy's like, I just didn't think I would do that. And I never thought he would do that. And I love that, that concept. <laughs> when you're so young, you're like, God, that is messed up. Like, people might really start killing people and just start doing anything that they never thought possible just because of survival, just because that crazy mindset to live and to survive and to destroy and to conquer kicks in. It's pretty primal. It's, it's really fascinating to me. I love that stuff. It is fascinating. It is something I think about, like what if things go sideways all of a sudden, like we lose all of our power. Uh, there's some kind of a cyber attack and we lose all of our internet connection. Everything's tied to the internet. How is society going to react? Are they want to come together and help each other? Is it like, you know, screw you, hooray for me, every man for themselves? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm a little nervous, <laughs> to say the least. Even though when I see the internet go down, like on a college campus, man, people lose their minds. Like, like people, people really freak out. I lose my mind when the internet goes down. You see people when they get hangry as well, when people need food. Like people are so used to like uh, quick fixes nowadays. Like again, that's like 140 character Tumblr. Everything's like one second and every. it's just, I am. I honestly think that things like Mad Max and Walking Dead are totally accurate. That if something happened, I think every single one of us would change. I think you're a family man, obviously. So I'm assuming that like you would be super family guy, like 
you know, you'd be like Rick probably from Walking Dead, like you would do anything to protect your family. But people like that who wouldn't have any loose ends, like who knows what the heck they would become? Who knows what they would become? It's very scary. It is. It is. What could really happen is very scary. You don't have to get into fantasy elements. You can just look at real life and say, this is the biggest horror you could face. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Frightening. It's a frightening time, Chris. What an upbeat conversation we're having. <laughs> well, well let's, let's, just, let's just go in the direction now. How much of a backstory have you fleshed out as a springboard for the story? Because like books like um, Black Magic, uh, Ruckus Black Magic, the, he has some back matter that's kind of building out a backstory. Now, I don't know if you've gone to that length, but how much have you kind of outlined and built as a structure to support the foundation for the story going forward? Well, the foundation is really based on actual like sort of witch and satanic history that I think that if people have an understanding of uh, Satanism, though it's so invented, like anyway, but um, I, <laughs> that's the thing is that I don't believe in a lot of the stuff, but I do so much research, but so Satanism is actually quite young as like an actual quote unquote religion. But anyway, so it's definitely got roots in uh, satanic culture. And then it's also got roots within the actual witch culture that all three of these women come from, um, from Iceland to uh, the, the Bridget Bishop, which was the Salem witch trial. She was the first says, um, so, but obviously not, not dead now. Uh, so uh, I, I do have back matter as well. I've actually have not read Black Magic because when I was working on this book so long ago, I never knew that that book was obviously in development until it was announced whenever it was announced like two or three years ago. And I was so mad. I actually met Greg Rucka earlier this year for the first time. And we had this panel together and we had like a nice chat or whatever also at the bar previous night. And then I went up to him after the panel though. And I was like, I got to tell you, like, I'm doing this book. I was so mad when I saw your book get announced. I was like, seriously, like I'm doing this book about a witch detective. And now here's this guy doing a witch detective. But I, but I love Greg. Greg's response was just like, oh, none of that matters. He was like, it's all about execution. Everyone's got like the same idea. It's all about how you're going to tell your story. And it made me feel so much better. I was like, thank you for not calling me like a terrible hack, but I still cannot read your book because I'm too scared. I need that bubble. But like, I still haven't even seen The Witch, even though I've been dying to see The Witch. Like The Witch is like so in my wheelhouse and I cannot watch it because I'm so scared about it getting into my brain somehow. But um, yeah, there's definitely like a, a structure and stuff that's been worked on. But I don't want to do that bad thing where like a writer, especially a newbie writer like me, goes overboard and creates like this huge Bible universe of like all the things you have to do and all these like huge stories and plans. Like, I think what's most important is not really where the witches have come from, but where the witches are going. So that's that's there is a back matter, but hopefully you'll be less interested about where they came from. You know what I mean? And just being like, God, oh, what the hell are they going to do next? Like, this is bad. That what she did was bad. Oh, no, they did this. Like, are they still going to be friends? Like, I think that should be more what people are interested in. Oh, absolutely. You want to be grounded in the here and the now because if I think the danger if you spend too much time on back matter and the environment and building this really elaborate universe, there may be things that are in your mind as you're writing the book that won't be as apparent to the reader and it'll start to creep in there. And you'll think, wow, this is great because I got this is all connecting to this and this. And, and it's all based on this back matter that people don't have access to. And they'll be like, I don't yeah. quite see what's so great. What am I missing? The best writers don't do that. They don't get into that, spend all that time building the universe to get right to. Here's the story. I'm hoping to keep it nice and concise. I think, again, like something like John Carpenter is like such a good example of that. because Most of his best films clock in at like under two hours or sometimes even 90 minutes. And uh, those films are very good, concise universes. Like, I love Prince of Darkness. It's a great story. I think it's told in, like, something like maybe 87, 97 minutes. Definitely not two hours. It's definitely only, like, 10 over an hour. And those movies are so tight. And they are so good in the action, into the characters, 
understand the character's motives and get the out. <laughs> like, I'm sorry for cursing, by the way. I'm sure you're going to bleep me out. But um, okay. those are good books. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm That's sorry. all right. I, a lot. I probably shouldn't have cursed. I'm sorry. But then they get out. I will repeat it then. I can restart. John Carpenter's great because he keeps his movies nice and tight. He has motives for the characters. The characters do things, and then they get the heck out of there. There you go. I did it. Gotcha. Yeah. No, and I agree <laughs> with you. Though films that are an hour and a half is a really good. It's almost the perfect time. You know, it's just enough it to is. get the story out, hook you in, and leave you wanting more. At that point, the films and some Marvel does some great films that run two hours. DC too, and there's so much there and so much character. I don't really notice the time, but that's rare. Usually I'm like, yeah. okay, what time is it? Uh, shouldn't this wrap up? Are we just kind of like running up and yeah. down corridors like Doctor Who or something? Like, what's going on? You know, it's. I even just um, I saw Dunkirk like earlier this week. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you. No, I haven't seen it yet. Well, it's heart wrenching. I mean, it was hard. It was really, really hard, and it's a great, really almost dialogueless story. It just like moves you forward with just pure action and tension. Um, but it's amazing because it was like 107 minutes long, and I only it was like 106 or 107, and I only remember that because the number was so strangely specific <laughs> then i was also like that's a really short movie for like a historical action film especially at a time where i feel like every film now is like two hours and 45 minutes like it's crazy how long movies are getting and the movie did not need to be any longer it was so perfectly um just a good tight film like chris nolan really brought it and uh, i just thought it was so good i just i like when things are nice and concise there's no need to over labor your point you know um it's good you should see it and here's another reason why they should not make the movies too long. One, theaters now, to get more customers in, have bars at the theater where you can get a drink. Oh, yeah. Which is wonderful. Um, however, yes. however, when movies run two and a half hours and you want to run back and get another drink, those drinks have to go somewhere. And you're going to miss something. Yes, yes. <laughs> and unless it's your second or third viewing, which not many of us can do anymore because we don't have time, that's inconsiderate. <laughs> I don't care yes. if I bring drinks to my table. I still have to get up and go. Uh, I don't drink. I don't drink or eat anything really in the cinema because I've always been afraid of that. And yeah. my little sister, my little sister is like the tiniest bladder. She's a grown grown woman now. I shouldn't say that, but she she's like for the longest time. I remember any film we saw like three or four times in the cinema. She'd be like, "Jordy, Jordy, I have to go to the bathroom." I'd be like, "Oh my god, are you joking? Are you joking?" <laughs> so after that, I stopped having anything. And like sometimes, like an hour before prep to go see a movie, I'd be like, "Didn't drink anything, did you?" <laughs> like I hate. <laughs> I hate getting up in movies. It's the worst. It's the worst. I try to sit someplace where it's easy for me to get up, like like a front, not in the front row, but like in between the aisle. The front. Yeah, so that way I can just kind of pop out and pop back in and not like block anybody else's view or trip over anybody or like where am I? You hate Ireland. Ireland's all assigned seating, so when you buy a ticket for mostly like any cinema and any film, it doesn't matter how big the film is, how new the film is, how small the screen is. When you buy a ticket, you're like in G. 10 or whatever and so if some guy's sitting like next to you 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 are both there you're both stuck there unless you think about buying the aisle seat so in people in ireland lord love them they're so relaxed about everything so they show up to movies so late and they also like they will like get up in the middle of the movie to go get something it's, it's really um so when you come to ireland don't see a movie so they assign your seat you can't pick the seat this is your seat no, I'm sorry. You do pick your seat, but if you don't pick your seat, if it's a busy night and they don't ask you where would you like to sit, you just get the film. Or if you don't buy in advance, you don't really get to choose your seat either. Because nothing was more confusing when I first moved here. And then I'm like at the cash register and they're like, where would you like to sit? And I'm like, in a seat? I don't understand. <laughs> and they're like, back, front, middle. I was like, I don't, I don't, the middle, I guess. And then I got in there and I realized, oh my gosh, this is craziness. So it's, um, 
you want to make sure you book online so then you can actually choose it. And I do choose the aisle so I can go to the bathroom. I, that's exactly how I do it. I go online, I choose my seat, and I often go to a theater. There's two I go to. One does not show trailers. So when the movie's going to start Ooh, at 7. I like that. Yeah, when the movie's starting at 7, it starts at 7. And I like if you have little ones, that's very important because you need to get a sitter <laughs> if you're going to go see a movie. Because I don't take kids to the movie and upset everybody else. You know, If I take a kid to a movie, it's a kid's movie, period. Um, but yeah, that is so convenient. And if you think you might run late, then you pick the movie theater that has the trailers. Because you're like, it's okay. We've got like another 20 minutes. It's cool. We don't have to rush. But having that assigned seat, there's no rush. Well, I feel like here in Ireland, though, I feel like our trailers and the ads for trailers, we don't have like the 20 year, but they do have like a really long thing. So I feel like anytime me and Declan are like, cool, we're going to go see this movie at 740 and then we have to be back at work. We always have to go like, we're going to go see the movie and it starts at 740, but it's not really going to start until like 825. And that's like, that's incredibly frustrating because then it adds all that time for like trying to get back home and trying to work and Ugh, hate all that. So annoying. And honestly, some of the trailers, maybe like one or two interest me and the rest are painful. Oh, yeah, usually. For sure. For sure. But back to positive stuff. Positive <laughs> stuff. Happy things. Let's go back to the happy place. <laughs> I want to talk to about you about being a creator. And I found that there have been two necessary qualities that that person needs to be a really good creator and thrive and make it. First, need a nurturing environment. And they also have to be, above all, persistent. Mm -hmm. And you started out, you went to school for illustration. You were thinking about doing children's books. Uh, you met Declan shortly after you got out of school. And he encouraged you to keep drawing. Just keep drawing, keep at it, keep at it. Tell me about the transition from being a line artist, for lack of a better word, to a colorist, and how you used other people's artwork to practice your technique as a colorist. Well... When I was uh, in school, I had like a blog and blog was blogger, rather blogspot blogger it was pretty big with everybody. It was like right at the end, I think of its real lifespan and Twitter was just starting to kind of get its feet off the ground. So comic twart, I don't know if you're familiar with comic twart, but that's where like Mike, um, I want to say, I think Mike Hawthorne was there, but okay, Mike Hawthorne, Mitch Gerard, um, Chris Zomney, Tom Fowler, Ramon Perez, Declan Shalvey. Uh, I think the list just goes on and on, to be honest. I know I'm forgetting somebody I really love, and I'm sorry. Oh, Ron Salas is there. But it was this great group of guys, and I was following them with my blogger through college, and that's sort of how I also started to know about Declan because of some sketches I saw him put up on this like collective blog. And so from there, I mean, I don't. these guys all saw something in me, most of them anyway. I mean, not all of them and I became friends, but guys like Chris Omni and Tom Fowler and Ramon Perez they all um, saw me posting my work on my blog and they started following me on my blog and looking at my art and leaving comments and things. And you have to know, like as a college kid who like looks up to all these guys so much, like, I mean, I had the vapors. I was like so excited, so flustered, like that these wizards were granting me any sort of attention. And then um, I got on Twitter and then I got way more, of course, people following me again that I really, really respected. I remember like at the very beginning of my little career, even like Guy Davis even took an interest in me. And he's obviously like the nicest guy ever, but he's such a talent and superstar that I just, I never understood why. Um, like Duncan Fergrito as well was very supportive of me too at first. And um, I realize now that I think that a lot of artists really just want to see good art happen. And if you even see like a ray of potential, people really try to drive it out of you. Like they don't want you to, to sit on it. They want to see that blossom and really turn into something. So I think what happened though is a bit of the opposite. 
because I was like meeting all these guys and seeing all their art that I actually sort of started to say, I'm not very good. I don't think I can draw for a living. Like these guys are really, really legit, too legit to quit. And then Declan was like, um, you know, if you really want to get into comics, though, there's still so many other things that you can do. And I was like, yeah, but like what? And he was like, you can try coloring. So I was like, well, let me try on some of your stuff. And I tried and it started getting a good response. And then from there, because of Blogger and Twitter and these sort of relationships I have with these guys, Chris Somney was like, hey, color this piece for fun. And then Ramon was like, hey, color this piece for fun. And Tom Fowler also did it. And it just, I mean, I took on everything they said on board, though, of course, because I respected them so much. But a lot of their first reactions were like, there's nothing better than a colorist who has a background in drawing and illustration because you understand sort of like the fundamentals of where we're coming from as artists. You're not just going to get in there and like Photoshop it. You're going to get in there and also, you know, try to serve our art as best you can. So from there, I just kept coloring pinups and pieces. And I got uh, my first biggish small gig with Boom. Um, one of, I think actually also a twerk guy was um, Gabriel Hardman. And he actually gave me one of my um, first gigs. Declan says he wasn't, I guess. And so Gabriel Hardman was the one who gave me one of my first gigs on Planet of the Apes. And from there, I got Marvel work with Ramon uh, for John Carter. And I mean, ever since then, it's like been amazing. But it, it, it doesn't, it's not lost on me that I think that the networking that I did, and I say networking, but really it was just like, hey, I like your piece. And they're like, hey, you're doing okay yourself. It's not lost on me that those guys who recognized a bit of potential at the beginning very much even helped me and facilitated my career in coloring comics. You know, it's pretty amazing that all those guys I ended up working with at some time or another. You networked, you worked hard. There was no shortcut for you. Oh gosh, no. You weren't afraid to make mistakes and let people see your work. You're just like, oh no, it's, you can't be like, oh no, it's not right yet. I don't want anyone to see this yet. It's not how I want it. You have to just like make mistakes, fail as much as possible. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter, you know, cause you're only going to get better. And I failed a lot. I failed, <laughs> I failed a lot really hard. I was just doing a workshop here last week and somebody asked me how long it used to take me to color a page. And I told them when I first started, like it took me like a whole like three days to color my first page. It was uh, one of Declan's page for something I was trying to get a test on. I didn't end up getting the gig. And I would say too that Declan, he already knew what that publisher wanted. Um, and they weren't like a main publisher or anything. But um, he was like, they're not going to hire you. I'm really sorry, but they're not. And I'm this type of person that um, when I hear no, I work twice as hard. So I was like, how dare you say I'm not going to get this? And he's like, you have no experience with salary. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you should try very well if you want. And he's like, I just don't want you to get your hopes up. And I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. And I colored the pages. They took me way too long. Declan was so supportive and sweet. And then, of course, I didn't get the gig. But then what was so great is because I did take in all that time and I didn't let just a little bit of a no say or like a naysay kind of push me down. He ended up actually sending those pages to his friend, Stephen Mooney. And Stephen Mooney was like, do you want to color this short story for me? And I was like, do I have to test for it? And he was like, no, <laughs> just come color the story. Like, you clearly know what you're doing. And that's how I got it. But I mean, it took me so long at the beginning. And I mean, I failed hard. I got so many notes from people at the very beginning. But I was really open to them. I really wanted to learn. I listened to the best. I mean, now I take a lot of artists critique with a grain of salt I'll take notes on any time but a critique I sometimes will take it with a grain of salt depending on who it's coming from and uh I I, I you know because I feel like I have a bit more of a voice but at the time I knew I had to learn and I don't think anyone's ever really done learning but I think I really it makes me sad now when I see very and I teach a few times out of the year and it makes me sad when I see very overconfident um young people 
coming out to these things and they want to participate and they want to join the industry. But like you say, I think maybe they're waiting for a short answer or a shortcut or they're waiting for that one magic moment where they're going to put their portfolio in front of a Marvel editor and they're going to get that job right away. Like that can happen. That you can get that if you're like Jim Lee or something. Like if you're like amazingly good, you have a great voice and you're like really personable and really nice. But those shots are like literally once in a lifetime, like once in a generation, really. I don't understand why people would wait around for that rather than just try every day and, and go for it every day and draw every day and write every day and go to every con you can and be online and talk to people and be positive and be nice. Because just like drawing at home in secret, or coloring at home in secret and posting the occasional thing online or on DA and then removing it because you're embarrassed of it or whatever, or you don't want to critique, it's going to be a lot harder for you to get a job, you know? Uh, and I want everyone to get a job. I want everyone to be successful in comics if they want to be there, but you really have to uh, put the work in and it's going to be hard, but I think it's worth it in the end. I really do. You have to be able to accept feedback and work with mm -hmm. others, you know, because if you think, well, I'm the greatest, and you know, <laughs> you're going to have a tough time working with editors and everything, you know, <laughs> I mean, you can't all start out doing your own thing. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, artists are also guilty of it. Writers are also guilty of it. It's not even just colorists. And I will say I've worked on some of those teams. And when you work with that particular person, it really does hurt the book. It really weakens the, the book. It weakens the, the execution. And it also really can just hurt people on the team. You know, a lot of people end up feeling like uh, they're not appreciated or not wanted. And I just think that this industry is too small. And I think artists are also fragile. I really think a lot, I mean, most human beings are fragile, but creatives as a whole are very, very fragile people. And I think it's important to remember that even if you have a lot of ego and you have a good confident strut, you know, I would be very gentle with that strut, just the same, because other people around you aren't nearly as confident and they're very insecure. And I don't think everyone needs to hold each other's hands. Like, obviously, I believe in professionalism, too. But I just think kind of like throwing your weight around, like, I'm the best. Do whatever I say. I've been in this industry 20 years longer than you. Like, you're not winning any friends with that. You're not getting any respect with that. That's just hurting you. And it's making people afraid of you. And no one wants to work with somebody they're afraid of. Like, I mean, that's really all it is. So I think it goes both ways. Be really nice if you're new, but also be nice if you're even old school because everybody's in it together. We're all on the same ship. you got to be nice. You mentioned Twitter and the power mm -hmm. of Twitter, and you set mm -hmm. off a firestorm unintentionally, just mm -hmm. comment about comics being for everyone, and that has like taken over. The lexicon has become a mantra now. I see it on T-shirts. I see yeah. it online. And tell me about what sparked that and why it's so important to push that agenda that comics are for everyone. Um, I can't remember why I was mad that year or that time specifically. But I, I remember I was already talking to Stephen Finch, a.k.a. Phonographics, C-Letters, um, Saga, and um, gosh, lots of things, Injection. He's a great designer, great letterer. And I got on to him saying like, hey, let's do this like shirt together. It just says this. I just think it would be really great. And he was like, cool, that sounds really neat. Like, let's do that. And he sent me a mock-up. And I was like, cool, we'll, like, announce it later. Like, I put it on the back burner. I was like, we'll, like, do this later. I'll figure out who we're going to print it with. And, again, I can't remember why I was angry. Probably just stuff about dudes saying chicks couldn't be at shows or something. That kind of stuff really gets to my nerves. But then it was at SDCC maybe, like, four or five years ago. I honestly can't remember when we even first talked about the, the initiative. But um, somebody tweeted a photo of a shirt. Uh, somebody had it at CCC for sale and it showed a cup of coffee and it said, I like my 
I like my nerd chicks or fan chicks, chick fans, something like that, some insulting term like that. Um, I like my fangirls the way I like my coffee. I don't like coffee. So for two reasons, I was offended. I love coffee. So already I was really mad out the gate. I was like, how dare this person make this shirt? And then also I was like, this is just unacceptable. This is rude. And who's going to buy this? And this is at a place where young girls are on the floor. And more than anything, I think about children a lot. And it makes me really mad to see children walking around. Like a young boy sees that and maybe feels verified in how he feels. And then a young girl feels that and then feels justified in thinking she shouldn't be there. I think that's, I think that's really sad. And I don't think a lot of adults who are in this industry think about where they got started. I don't think a lot of adults started reading comics when they're like 38. You probably started when you were eight or 18 and it meant a lot to you. And why are you trying to drive young people out now, especially girls? Um, I was very, very annoyed. And so uh, I saw that and like already I'm getting annoyed thinking about it. So clearly I was like, okay, I'm just going to post this image right now. And I posted the shirt and it really hit at the same day. And people got very excited about it. And everybody was retweeting it and everyone got really excited. And apparently there were already like movements like that before um, in comics, but they all seem like they kind of like die off occasionally. Because I mean, it's something that in principle should always be there. But uh, we definitely weren't the first to come up with it. I, I did think we were, but we weren't. Um, but uh, I no way meant to even dishonor those other people before us. I just wanted to make sure it was a statement that was still clear. And uh, we put all the money towards charity. We did it. We've done a few different charities with any of the money that was made from shirt profits and pin profits. Some of it went to the CBLDF. Some of it went to uh, V-Day, which is a charity for helping women across the world in terms of like protecting them from child slavery and um, young marriages and also giving them education. And here in Ireland, we give uh, charities, we give to Focus Ireland, and that's um, a homeless um, charity. Uh, because we have very bad homeless people here or a very bad homeless problem here in Ireland. So uh, Comics Are For Everybody is uh, meant to also definitely help the community, uh, but it's also meant to show that with that money that we also make from the community, we really have no interest in taking any of it. We want to put it right back into the community um, around us, you know. Um, so I don't know. I'm, 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 I don't try to take too much ownership of it, but I am proud that people still remember it. I'm always really happy and excited when I see Karen Gillan wearing the shirt or Scott Snyder wearing his shirt. Um, it makes me feel very happy because as I've also told Declan plenty of times that I do think that a lot of the change in this industry is going to start with men and men who really have to pick up the reins and address these issues head on. Cause women and other people and minorities have tried very hard, like screaming into a void. It feels like, but the more that men pick this stuff up and really start to push it, um, I think we're going to make some serious progress for sure. So, uh, yeah. Your timing, I guess, just was right when even if it was somebody else's idea before to say that, your timing just was perfect. People are angry and everyone loves a good retaliation. But I think better than just a retaliation, I think it's good when a retaliation can be positive. Because um, I don't – There again, on Twitter, there's such like this thing about having the cleverest quip. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, that's just resulting in more hurt feelings and who feels – the smartest and like most self-righteous at the end of the day, I would much rather leave a more positive mark on things. So um, yeah, I, I think that the the shirt was a reaction, an angry reaction, but it still was like, you're not going to budge me from this. I'm still going to be here because they are for everybody. And they are comics are for everybody. Like, come on. I don't even know why we need to be saying that either. It's 2017. I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Hey, I wanted to ask you, do you have a dream project besides this one? that you've been working on for years, you know, in the back of your mind and now fully realized, is there a dream project? Something, if there were no restrictions, oh my. it is something you would want to do. 
I wish you had set this up in an email so I had time to think about it. <laughs> I know, but it's fun this way. Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> well, there's I no right or wrong know. answer. I won't know. No, you can tell me anything. <laughs> Here, you're not in my head. I could tell you Garfield. That's <laughs> right. um, No, I, uh, at the very beginning, I actually feel like I got really lucky. I used to joke with Declan that my dream project was Chris Somney stuff. And then I got to do uh, just two short issues with Chris Somney. And then I got to do Rocketeer with Chris Somney over at IDW. And then he was like, it's not really fair that, you know, you already hit your dream project like two years into the industry. Like, you got to come up with something else. I was like, (laughs) okay. I hope I work on a Star Wars book. And then I got to do Leia with Terry Dodson. And he was like, and with Mark Wade, no less. And he was like, okay, I'm really getting sick of this. Like, you better come up with a different dream project. <laughs> so um, I don't know if I have one right now. I think I'm, I, and I know that maybe that's terrible, but I think that my dream projects are more about finding the right projects that make me feel the most creatively fulfilled with the best artists. And that might sound like such a smarmy answer, but I, I genuinely mean it. I don't know if dream projects are ones that I can like, just even lift off the magic ingredients. I think they just kind of happen. And like vision, I had no idea vision was going to be a dream project. And it was, um, and I couldn't have planned that at all. Um, working with Gabriel is always a dream, but Tom King signing on as writer changed that book uh, ridiculously. And injection, injection in the first two arcs with Declan Shelby and um, Warren Ellis, it was great fun, but it's like the third arc that we're doing right now with um, Ross. Um, Cause each arc is broken off into different characters, sort of, uh, areas. Um, this has been my dream arc, my dream project. So uh, I don't know. It just it just really depends on the time and place and the creator and the book. So um, yeah, I'm sorry that's not a great answer. No, that's okay. And you know, your dream <laughs> project will change over the years. I have some other questions. Uh huh. These are easier. Well, okay. more or less. They're the fun questions I ask all my guests. So okay, th- they've been in the same position you are. I don't prep them for these. Now the first question. This is easy. What do you like to do? for rest and relaxation when you're not coloring, not working on your art, not writing? What do you do? I like to rent three movies with my iTunes. I like to rent them on my Apple TV and cuddle with my cat and pour myself a glass of uh, either Malbec or a dessert wine because I am a a terrible person. I will drink dessert wine on its own. I don't need cake. I think it's really tasty. <laughs> and uh, I will watch three horror movies back to back because I hardly have time to watch movies anymore. So I'll rent like one good one, one I've never heard of before and one that's clearly schlocky garbage. And I'll watch all three of them and my cat will be there and I'll be drinking a little bit of wine. And then after I stay up till like four in the morning, I'll be like, time for bed. And then I just go to bed. That is what I love to do. That's my favorite. Now, since you're drinking wine, do you watch the schlocky one last so it goes down better? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Now, this is the tougher question. You're on a deserted island. There's no power, no electricity. What book do you have with you? You can have one book. Or uh, it could be a set if they are part of a collection like the Harry Potter tales. But oh, well, I was going to say the Harry Potter tales are so magical. I'd literally be in another place all the time, all the time. <laughs> but you're going to be stuck that... there for a while. So it's got to be something you really want to read and maybe read a couple of times. Oh, boy. I do. See, the books I all like are very upsetting. So I don't know if I'd want to have any of those upsetting books on there. <laughs> but I, as I always say when someone says that, is that this will make you feel better about your predicament, that that person in the book, their predicament's worse. Oh, no, man. Well, I was going to say, like, <laughs> I do love Lord of Flies. And if I read that over and over, I'd probably definitely start feeling a little bit better about my situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I am going to have to, I can't, 
think of the last book I read that made me really uh, happy in an emotional way because I read very bad, sad, angry books about feminists who are, you know, um, angry. Um, oh, oh, I, you know, I do have one and I don't even feel bad saying it. I would probably bring a, a memoir that has put me in like a good mood. I've listened to it twice now. It's by Felicia Day. Her book makes me feel so good. Felicia Day's you're not always weird on the internet. Something I can't remember the full title. I know that's like a ridiculous answer, but her, <laughs> no, book, goes, her book goes, first of all, I love Felicia Day. So I'm not even ashamed. Secondly, like her book goes through like um, her period of ups and downs in her life. And it's just so charming. And she would feel like my best friend. And I feel like I wasn't alone because she has such a good approachable way of speaking to you in the book that I would not feel alone. So that's my answer. That's my answer. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I love her. I got way too excited. It's a great book. <laughs> it's, it's really great. I love Felicia Day. I get a little flustered because she's so great. The last one's easy because you've already really answered it. What's your beverage of choice? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm all back wine or dessert wine or coffee. Just black. Black, as I often tell my coffee employee friends, like my soul. And they loved it. I said it once. And now they never <laughs> let it go. <laughs> Every time I go in, they're like, black. Like your soul. I'm like, yes, guys. Yes, I get it. Ha, ha, ha. Every single time now. Every single time. I love it. <laughs> People who listen to the show know this about me. Like, you know, it's coffee in the morning. No doubt. I make the coffee. In the evening, um, I do like to enjoy some wine. Usually the wife and I will get a bottle of wine. And nice. watch watch something. Like people know this. They have to listen to the show. I've been binging. Not binging. That's kind of a strong word. I've been catching up on Game of Thrones since season one I've, I've never watched it so i started i've never it. watched it either no. is it any good oh yeah oh it lives up to the hype oh yes yes and i avoided like all the spoilers so i started at the beginning of july and now i'm i have one season left before the current one holy smokes chris <laughs> i knock out like two a night we just sit down kids kids go to sleep it's like okay let's go you know we have like the um the uh the fire stick for the uh, tv and just go hbo boom and we start watching nice. and uh nice. It's it, yeah. I mean, it really yeah. It it definitely does pick up too when you get to season two and three, and then it just starts to really just get rolling. So it's something you can make some time for. People have been saying you got to watch it for years. And I'm like, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. I'm really busy. I can't really commit. It's such a commitment. Um, yes, I'm sure. But it, it's there's a payoff. Yeah, yeah. I'm only just now catching up on uh, the remake of Battlestar Galactica, and uh, I think that's amazing. Like. <laughs> I really enjoyed the Battlestar Galactica that we watched so far. Uh, it's a very intense show, but that's how like behind I am like in TV stuff. Like unless it's like Breaking Bad, which I also did not watch the last season of because it started to be so upsetting. I was like, we cannot relax like this anymore. Like I am like, like I'm sure Game of Thrones must have some sort of like arc where you're like happy, sad, funny, funny, happy, sad. But Breaking Bad was just so for so long, just so relentlessly like things are bad, things are bad. Like you're going to feel terrible and you're going to feel really tense at the end of every episode. And I'd be like, this is too much. I'm just trying to, to enjoy my night off. Well, have you seen Better Call Saul, which is the, the quote? I haven't, but I really want to. I'm so happy it keeps getting more and more seasons. Like, I love um, Odenkirk. I think he's great. I love him so much. Fantastic. And you don't have to really watch Breaking Bad before you oh, watch really? it. No, 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 no. I mean, it kind of helps. You might recognize some characters that appear, but it stands alone. And you kind of know where he's going to end up ultimately. But I mean, the the story is so good and there are some more of those lighter humorous moments, more of them than say in Breaking Bad. It's not such a downer. Yeah. Well, Odin Kirk was one of the funniest bits from Breaking Bad. Like I absolutely 
He was so good every single time. I love him. I might have to consider watching it, though. I don't know if um, my boyfriend will let me get away with that before finishing Breaking Bad. I'm sure he'll just be like, not allowed to start something else before because he has been rallying me to finish it for, I don't know, how long ago did it end? A year ago? Two years ago? I think it's like a couple of years now. Yeah. Oh, sh- sh- Chris, he can't hear you. He doesn't need to know. I need to, we need to watch it. He says it's been four or five years. There's no way it's been four or five Has years. It been? Really? No. No, I'm not going to believe. No, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. I also only just watched the uh, Deep Space Nine, and I loved Deep Space Nine like crazy. Um, I haven't finished it, though, because I'm upset about the ending. <laughs> I'm not a finisher of things, Chris. So I want to ask you, yes. what is the you would take to an island? Because that's a very hard question. Oh, it is a very hard question. And I, I figured at some point, someone would throw that back at me, and I'd be like, okay, Chris, think fast. If I was stuck on a deserted island and I didn't know when I was going to get off or what was going to happen to me, the book I would pick would be the Tibetan Book of the Living and the Dying. That's a deep answer, Chris. I, I know. Well, here's the thing. I've read the book. It's a weighty tome, and it's not just based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It's also how to live knowing that your life is finite. And I found it to be – it just changed the way I looked at everything. Very inspiring. So if I'm stuck and I want to get through to the next day and not lose my mind, that's something I would read. I might have to consider looking that up then. That sounds good. I'm always looking for a new way to you know, open up my brain. Be a happier, more well-rounded person. I'll look into that. I've, I've read a lot of the Buddhist stuff, and I've read the Tibetan book. Same, I like that stuff. I was actually looking for, like, a new Buddhist read, to be honest, like, because I was thinking about, I used to read a lot of that stuff in college, and I definitely think, like, I felt a little more, um, I don't know, relaxed in college. But the other day, I was thinking, like, oh, is that just because I was younger? But I'm like, no, I think it's just because I was making a better, um, what's the word, commitment to read books that made you think inward and look inward rather than just books that are purely entertainment. So I might have to uh, go look into that. That sounds good. I'll send you a link. Oh, that sounds uh, great. Thank you. It, it, it really does put things in perspective and mm. things that you make you think may be monumental or the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, as a coworker of mine once, once said, and he had this taped to his computer, it won't matter in a thousand years. I like that. I always feel like, though, that maybe that's a bit nihilistic, but I do like that. I I'm one of those people who's better about telling other people that than remembering it for myself, though. Like, um, but I don't know, man. I do need some help with that kind of stuff, especially, like, with promoting Redlands and everything. Everything feels like it's so dire. Everything feels like it's so important. Writing the book, getting the book out, going to conventions. It's, like, intensity, intensity, intensity. And I can already feel it in my shoulders. So I'm trying every trick and every book I can lately to, like, find the balance of just positivity and coolness about stuff that it's like it's important but it's not the end of the world important you know you know it's actually and i was just seeing dunkirk with my friend and my friend's going through a really hard time right now with some little stuff like life stuff like it's not actually big stuff he's just stressed about adult things and uh we had just walked out of dunkirk and he, he nearly even said as we we're like walking out of the cinema to go down to the pub for a pint and he said, um, you know, the stuff at my house, you know, like he, he was like, oh, I'm sorry, just somebody stressed out about, he's stressed out about his house. So he's like really, really stressed. He's like, I just, you know, this is like life and it's just, it's very important. And I laughed. I said, the same Dunkirk perk to put some things in perspective for you that maybe it's not life and death after all. <laughs> and he was so embarrassed <laughs> and he started to laugh and he was like, I really did nearly say it, but yeah, it's true. It's, it's really not life and death. Is it? I'm like, no, it's not. It's really not. Your house is your house. Like you'll be fine. Oh my goodness. 
everybody could use some perspective. That's oh, for yeah. sure. Well, it's easier said than done when you're in the heat of the moment and emotions and tensions are running high yeah. and you're under pressure. Because uh, the the stupid pressure, the quote secrets to all this, they're really not secrets. Everybody's discovered them at some point and just interpreted them different ways and expressed them in different ways, perhaps. But it, it's really rather simple. Another good book, and I'll send you a link for this, is uh, the Four Agreements. Okay. And I usually don't remember most of them more, but it's like don't take anything personally. Always. Oh, impact. I need to. That, that is probably the hardest one for me. Like, don't take it personally. Oh, so hard. <laughs> Be impeccable with your speech. Always do your best. Yeah, I know. I am. I'm terrible. <laughs> that person's a smoke. You know? It's like don't gossip. I'm like, oh, okay. But you know, being impeccable with your speech. Uh, always do your best. And I forget what the other one is. <laughs> but there's there's only wow, four. Wow. Now I've got to get the book. But it really just it condenses everything down into four simple rules that are like really that. hard to execute, though. But I'll, I'll send you. And it's it's a it's a fairly quick read. I seriously like. I really. I'm not even just doing that polite thing. Like I genuinely would really love these links. I nearly wrote that one down, but you said you're going to send me the link. So please send them. I would like buy them right away on Amazon because I need the feel good stuff. I just got a brand new nice reading chair, so I would love to to read some good stuff. Put some good stuff into my brain. That'd be good. I'd be happy to Especially share for that. all the Fredlands. And after you've read it, I'd like to know what your thoughts are about it. You know, we, we think it's sure. good, bad, you know, is this useful? Because the book of the living and the dying, that, that's a pretty thick one. But the the other one's kind of like bedside reading. You can just kind of knock that out real quick. Big type, you know, easy. <laughs> Big type, easy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, that sounds great. They also sound like books even my father would like. My dad loves using all, reading all that um, positivity and life sort of stuff. He's actually way better about reading all of it than me. And he's a very spiritual man. So I think that's also what draws him to that stuff. But as somebody who is such a hollowed out weirdo i um i don't i'm not very spiritual so i don't go to that stuff really but he he's always passing me really cool books and i'm like yeah thanks like these are pretty neat but you know not really my cup of tea but these sound like ones i like and i'll be able to give to him and he loves good books so i thank you again you've also not just made me happy you also you just took care of my christmas gifts for my dad oh well, thank you <laughs> i'm here to help <laughs> well, I like these books because if, you know, you're not into spiritualism or anything like that, you can strip away all that stuff. And these are just simple rules for a living. That's what I like about better. that. Exactly. You know I mean? it's, it just exactly. gets down to the basics. There's no dogma exactly. around it or, or mythology. Exactly. It's just boom, do this. Exactly. Because I can't stand all that other stuff that always needs to have those higher things involved. That's when I, that's when that stuff really loses me. And even the opposite side of the spectrum. Like I love reading like books about like paranormal things and like exorcisms because I'm really interested in like the psychology of those things happening but the moment somebody starts to talk about that stuff as if it's like an absolute reality or like the devil's an absolute real thing it, and I mean I know that my opinions aren't everyone else's opinions but I'm just saying like either side of the spiritualism spectrum it really puts me off so I like reading about evil in terms of psychological evil and I love reading about you know good deeds just for being good deeds not for or good good naturedness not just for being good natured because you're trying to please some bigger dude you know that stuff bumps me out I love it please send me the link I will that's, and that's the cool thing about Buddhist philosophy is that you know when they would ask the Buddha his followers like what happens when you die he goes what, what difference does it make how does that help you now exactly. Do, do, exactly. do this and you will feel better you will you will release yourself from suffering period that's it <laughs> Yeah, and that's, oh, that's a, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to go back to some of that reading, I think. That stuff made me feel so much happier. Like, it's been like three or maybe longer, like maybe six years since I've read any of those types of things, but they're really good. They just keep you nice and balanced and happy. Yeah, it's good repeated reading. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really is, yeah. Now, you've been very generous with your time, and before we oh, wrap up, you. how can fans reach you through social media, uh, give you feedback about Redlands when they read it? Uh, Okay. 
I am mostly at um, at Red Cube Studio. I think it's at Red Cube underscore studio. That's actually the studio that me and Declan run here in Dublin. I normally tweet from there quite a fair bit. Um, I'm not so much on my actual Twitter, but sometimes I do check it, and that's at Woe Jordy. Um, Woe Jordy as in W-H-O-A, the correct way to spell Woe, everyone. So at Woe Jordy, can't tell you my pet peeve when I get woo from everybody. So at, at Woe Jordy uh, for that. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that you like the book. Uh, write me if you do and write me if you don't. I think that the book, hopefully, at the very end of the day, will put in some uh, interesting discussions for people to have. I've already seen in some comments, people have been discussing uh, police corruption. They've been discussing uh, specific shootings in Florida. And it's all upsetting stuff, but that's the kind of stuff that I want Redlands to do. I want it to make people um, not afraid, but just, you know, wonder about the things that, as you said earlier, maybe that they've become complacent about or thought that maybe they can't change um, and just kind of just start discussing them more, you know, don't let them just be something that you see on the news and turn off. Like, you know, try to really just open out your arms and have a discussion with somebody, even though it's going to be a hard one, I'm sure, you know. Do you have any appearances scheduled this year? I do. I'm going to be at Bobble in September this year. Uh, that is in Leeds. Unfortunately, I'm all done with my American shows this year. Um, I will uh, really quickly shout out for my boyfriend, though, because he's going to be at New York Comic Con. So if you're really extra nice and you're like, hey, I listen to Chris Pod's cast, like, and you get on to me on Twitter, maybe I'll send Declan to New York Comic Con with something special if you're going to be there. Um, but you have to say you listen to this podcast, as you must be if you're listening to it now. So why are you still listening? Go to Twitter and look me up and be like, I listen to the podcast. Send Declan to New York with something nice. And I will. Um, otherwise, next year, I'm hopefully going to be at Chicago and in Seattle. That was great. I had a really good time. And uh, thank you, Jordy, so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Chris, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one, your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works, and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.